Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. With this Sunday, the current church year draws to a close. It was a good year. Sure, there were some some challenges, some, some failures, some difficulties, but also the spiritual blessings, the, the growth of faith, the forgiveness of our sins, and the mercy that we received from God during this past church year also are beyond comparison. As this curtain closes on another church year, we are reminded also that someday God will also bring to an end the final act of the drama of this world's history. The curtain will fall on this world someday for the last time as well. We don't know when that will happen exactly. We read in the Gospel that no one knows that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, that is according to his human nature, but only the Father. And Jesus warns us that It will happen when we least expect it. Here we see through the Apostle Peter in verse 10 of our text that the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief doesn't tell you when he's going to come and steal from you or or rob you. He comes unexpectedly. That's the, the whole point of his mischief. So we don't know when the end will come, and so we must be prepared at all times for the end. But we can be certain that it will happen. Now, of course, many people don't like to think about the reality of that fact. Some, some don't like to think about it because of their shame, of their sins, makes them afraid of what they will face on that last day. Others might think about the last day of the world as ruining the plans that they've made for their lives and the, the things they want to do and enjoy. Still others, if they take seriously what the Bible says about the, the coming of the last day of the world, Judgment Day, they realized that they would have to change their lifestyle if they accepted the last day as a reality, Judgment Day. So there are voices both within and outside the church that deny, at least to some degree, the reality of our Lord's coming return. But we know from God's word that he will indeed return. And we also know that we don't have to be afraid of his return because he assures us that when he does return, he will take us to his heavenly kingdom where he rules as king over all things. So he promised to his people, to us in Luke chapter 12, do not be afraid, little flock, because your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. So let's trust in God's promises. Let's turn deaf ears to the voices of the scoffers in the world around us and at the same time, thank God for his patience as we eagerly await the the new heavens and new earth that he has prepared for us in which righteousness dwells. Jesus graciously puts to rest many of the fears about his return through his apostle Peter here in Peter's second letter that we just read from. And also, Here, just as in many other places throughout the Bible, we see our attention being drawn back again and again to Jesus' victorious reign as king of the universe. When the apostles appealed to the consciences of the early Christians for lives of greater service to God and to others, 
they often referred to the imminent, impending return of King Jesus to deliver his people and to judge the ungodly for their wicked deeds. When the disciples preach repentance, we see through the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, he said it was because God has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he appointed, who is Jesus. And when the Apostle John exhorted people to more faithful living and, and greater virtue in their lives, he said it was so that we may be confident when he appears and may be unashamed before him at his coming. And there are words of comfort to those who were suffering persecution and affliction were in the words of James chapter 5. You be patient too. Strengthen your hearts because the coming of the Lord is near. And when the Apostle Paul charged his, his mentee, his student Timothy, uh, uh, also a, a pastor whom God had called to, to serve God's people with his word, the Apostle Paul made this appeal to Timothy, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. And even Jesus himself, when he spoke about the folly, the utter foolishness of someone who, think, who thought that they could exchange their immortal soul for the fleeting pleasures of this world, Jesus held up for the disciples the great truth that the Son of Man, referring to himself, will come in the glory of his Father together with the angels, and then he will repay everyone according to their actions. And our Lord's last and most victorious word, spoken from heaven itself to all his churches on earth in the book of Revelation chapter 22, is the stirring announcement where he says, Look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, to repay each one according to what he has done. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and so that they may enter through the gates into the city. And in our worship service, almost every service when we use the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, we make reference to our Lord's return in judgment. In the Lord's Prayer, we pray for Jesus to establish his kingdom. Thy kingdom come in us and through us by his word, so that his word will be and his kingdom will be brought to completion in his return. And so as we see so many different references in the Bible to the kingship and the reign and, and the second coming of Jesus, it's hard to spend too much time preaching and teaching about our Lord's return and his kingdom. It's also true that in spite of the, the very many references to Jesus' kingdom and his reign in the Bible, that there are also very many misunderstandings and, and misinterpretations, either by people denying what the Bible says or, or misinterpreting and, and twisting the truth of what it says. Jesus clearly teaches us what is going to happen before he returns. He so shows that from the time of his ascension into heaven, after not long after his resurrection from the dead, until the day that he returns, he, he gives us many signs to look for, to realize the fact that he is coming soon, that we are in the end time, and that his return could come at any time. He makes reference to wars and rumors of war, to famines, diseases, and death, 
to false Christs, people claiming to be Jesus, come back already. To the appearance of the Antichrist, which goes against the heart and core of the gospel from within the church. He makes reference to signs in the sun, moon, and stars, natural disasters of all kinds. And then he says, on the last day, the trumpet will sound, and Jesus with his holy angels will join together with his church triumphant with all believers who have already died before that day, and then also together with the church militant, all believers still living at that time when he returns. He will bring them all together to meet with him together in the air. And then he will judge the world according to the standard of his word. The righteous will receive everlasting salvation, and the unrighteous will receive eternal damnation. And since we don't know whether we are going to be alive on that last day when Jesus returns, or whether perhaps we will die first and then on the last day be raised back to life, we need to always be trusting in the promises of our Savior. Because Jesus suffered, died, and rose and ascended for us, we can live each day confidently as if even this day is our last day. When we leave home in the morning, we can live confidently with the, the, the knowledge of the possibility that we might not return at the end of that day to our home, but instead go to our heavenly home. When we go to sleep each night, we can close our eyes with confidence, knowing that we might open our eyes uh, to our eternal life in heaven, in the perfect heavenly kingdom of our Savior Jesus. Because the return of Jesus is so important to our Christian faith, we thank God that through his apostle Peter, he alerts us again to the scoffers who, he says, will come in the last days, and also telling us what to do about those scoffers and, and their scorn for our faith. So Peter writes in verses 3 and 4 of our text, he says, First know this, in the last days scoffers will come with their mocking, following their own lusts. They will say, Where is this promised coming of his? For from the time that our fathers fell asleep, that is, when they died, our ancestors died, all things continue as they have from the beginning of creation. So God is telling us through Peter that those who scoff, who, who mock him and his word and, and those who believe in his word, uh, they, they scoff at the idea of the second coming of our Lord Jesus and everything that he taught about it. And we know that in our society today, there is generally ridicule and skepticism of everything supernatural, everything having to do with God and his word. There are people who say that only things that can be proven uh, through scientific testing and observation are things that should be believed or, or things that are, they're, they're the only things that are reality. And without evidence that meets their own standards that they have in mind, uh, they will not accept any other claim of, of truth as truth. Of course, that's bad enough, but when the scoffing is aimed directly at our Lord's return, and when people believe that there is no hope of his coming again, then that totally undermines the need for our Lord Jesus himself and his work. And so the, the rationale goes like this, or the, 
the, the devil's work at undermining the gospel message goes like this. If the Lord is not going to return, then there is no judgment. And if there is no judgment, then there is no accountability for sin. And if there's no accountability for sin, then there is no need to pay for sin. And if there's no need for payment for sin, then there is no need for the cross. And if there's no need for the cross, then there's no need for Jesus. And if there's no need for Jesus, then there's no need for a Savior. And if there's no need for a Savior, then there's no need for heaven. The devil is very eager to destroy all the hope that we have in our Lord's return. He knows that then, if he is able to to undermine that truth, to get us to doubt and to question and and to believe the skeptics and, and the scoffers in the world around us, he knows that then the very power of the gospel itself is destroyed. Of course, the scoffers of our day are very effective at using the false claims of of certain churches, Christian churches, about Jesus' return as as arguments against the whole idea itself. There there are people who are so obsessed over all of the details of of current events and and world politics and geopolitics and their, their ideas that they have about Uh, a literal interpretation of the 1,000-year reign of Jesus on earth in the book of Revelation makes it very easy for people to totally reject any notion that the Bible teaches about Jesus' return. And the scoffers also use creation as an argument, Peter tells us in our text. Ever since creation, they say, the world has gone on exactly as before. But Peter points out that that those scoffers deliberately don't see the contradiction of admitting that the world had a beginning, but then denying that it will have an end, or at least an end in divine judgment. Their argument that what has never happened will never happen, that since the world hasn't ended yet, it will never end, that argument obviously is logically inconsistent. Peter points out that they reject the flood, the worldwide flood at the time of Noah, which God used to change the world completely and to bring judgment on all the people of the world because of their horrible sinfulness. Just as at Noah's time, there were scoffers who didn't believe that God would, in fact, send a flood to cover the whole earth, which necessitated the need for Noah and his family to build this giant ark in the middle of dry ground so also there are scoffers in these last times. But just as surely as the flood came at Noah's time, so the end of the world will come, just as God's prophets and apostles and Jesus himself proclaimed. And so beware of those subtle and also not so subtle messages of the scoffers who contradict the word of God and seek to undermine its message. Because by suggesting the delay of our Lord's return, or by denying the reality of Jesus' return altogether, the scoffers try to, and the devil, of course, through them, tries to dull our alertness and divert our trust away from God's promises. Then the question might arise, well, if, if that skeptical message is so dangerous, why does the Lord seem to delay his return to judge the living and the dead? Peter gives us the answer in verses 8 and 9 of our reading. He says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. 
For the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow to do what he promised, as some consider slowness. Instead, he is patient for your sakes, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so what the scoffers describe as slowness on God's part, we Christians properly view as patience and mercy of God. Remember that there were at least 4,000 years that went by from God's giving of the original promise of the Savior up until the point of the birth of Jesus, the Savior, in Bethlehem. And when we look at all the prophecies that God gave through the prophets in the Old Testament about our Lord's birth, about his suffering, death, and resurrection, we see that God waited for exactly the right time to send his son. And then, at just the right time, he sent him. Jesus came, and and through him, God's promises of salvation for you and, and for me and for all people were fulfilled. Jesus went to the cross to suffer and die for all your sins and mine. Unless those sins were paid for and forgiven, our sins would separate us eternally from God and his love and blessing. Trust that with his shed blood on the cross, Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. His resurrection on the third day is proof that your sins are forgiven, that death is not your end, and that through faith in him, you will rise eternally. As long as you believe that the cross and the tomb are empty, no deceit or or subtle lies of the devil and, and of the scoffers that he uses in this world can harm you or deceive you. Therefore, there is good reason for the patience of God. To God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. In reality, The way it it works with God is that there is no yesterday or tomorrow for him. All time and eternity for God are like a single now. And any delay, no matter how many years it may seem from our human perspective, is really no delay as far as God's perspective is concerned. Peter is very clear. God is in no hurry to execute his judgment. All of Scripture confirms this truth as we see in our reading. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, we read, God says, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. And of course, in that cherished gospel passage, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's God's very nature to love. And therefore, God is very patient in his grace so that sinners will turn to him in faith and be saved. God gives sinners the time to repent, to believe in Jesus as their Savior, and so to be saved. And God gives us the time to share this eternal life-giving gospel with the people around us who are still in spiritual darkness 
of sin and unbelief. God gives our church individually and our church body collectively time to to go out into our communities, to send missionaries throughout our nation and around the world to preach the gospel to millions of people who are still sitting in spiritual darkness. So be alert to the deceptions of these last days. But at the same time, also be eager, looking forward to attain the promises of that kingdom that our King Jesus has prepared for us. In verse 13 of our reading, Peter reminds us that God has promised us a new heaven and a new earth. He says we are looking forward to that place where righteousness dwells. And we see the way that God depicts that place for us, the perfect eternal kingdom of heaven in the book of Revelation. He says, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And in Revelation chapter 7, it says about those who have come out of this earthly life of trial and and sin and hardship and pain and suffering into that perfect peace of heaven. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is the vision God gives us of true righteousness in his kingdom. Sin and all its effects will be no more. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more heartache. No more hunger. No more thirst. No darkness. No sickness. No death. We will see God as he is. We will see him face to face. All his holy angels, all the saints of today, and all the centuries and millennia before, and all who will come after, all will be there together around his throne in a grand reunion to praise him and enjoy his presence forever. The wait is worth it. And so as God calls us, be alert always. Regardless of what challenges you face today or tomorrow, believe in the Lord Jesus, your Savior and King, and eagerly anticipate the crown of life that he has won for you and that he will give to you on that day when he calls you to be with him. Amen.